When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by our friends Manscaped, the leaders in men's grooming. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from manscaped.com to receive 20% off your entire order and free shipping worldwide. Join the over 2 million men trusting Manscaped with their grooming needs today and get ready for all their new products launching this year like their body wash, 2-in-1 shampoo conditioner, their lawnmower 4.0 groomer, and so much more. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss the Fantastic Beast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. And James here. So Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore just got released. We got an early screening and invite by IMAX at AMC, which was super cool. In this episode, we figured we'd cover the trilogy of the Fantastic Beasts so far. So we have Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which came out in 2016. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And I believe it's pronounced both Grindelwald and Grindelwald by different characters in the film. So I think either pronunciation is fine. And then Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which just came out. And Grindelwald came out in 2018. And um, J.K. still remains a creative genius. Uh, the the imagination she has is, you know, unparalleled for most writers in the modern era. And we have an excellent cast for all of the films. A lot of excellent, excellent actors. And um, Eddie Redmayne, I think, is a fantastic lead as Newt Scamander. I think he's very charming. And he uh, captured the essence of this individual really well. Um, productions by David Yates, who made the last few Harry Potter films. He did all of these films, so it has the same aesthetic, the same feeling and tone as those final Harry Potter films, especially, I would say, the, La- the Deathly Hallows films. Um, so, again, high-class production, wardrobe, visual effects. Um, everything is uh the best money can pay for. It's beautiful. It's extremely well-made, well-crafted, and it is very nice to revisit the Wizarding World when you come back and see these films, although everybody knows it does not have the same um, power as the Harry Potter films. And the first two were written by J.K. Rowling by herself for screenplays, and then Steve Cloves helped write the, the third film with her who adapted pretty much all of the Harry Potter films except for Order of the Phoenix into screenplays from books and like Eddie said directed by David Yates Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Rotten Tomatoes score is 74% critic score 79% audience score with a 7.3 IMD rating that is the best all around score for all three and then the Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 36%, critic score, 54% audience score, and then a 6.5 on IMDb. And then the most recent film, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, 51% on Rotten Tomatoes and 84% audience score for that. Critical is 51%. All over the place. And then 6.6 on IMDb. 
personally, I think Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is the strongest of the films so far. I think it's the most that has been able to like capture the magic of the Harry Potter franchise. I think the first one was still a very good movie. It was a great introduction to Newt in this world, and now we're in America instead of the UK for the most part. But then the second one, I think, is just the weaker, obviously, of the three films. It's kind of like the plot's a little all over the place. Like, There's really kind of no reason for Newt to be even in the story, but a little bit. And the beasts don't really come into play. But I think the third one's the best because they actually made the beasts a part of the plot and essential to the story. Yeah, and I think that, like you just said, it, Newt being in the second one, it doesn't really make sense for the majority of that film. And I think that ultimately is the the main issue with this um, franchise. If, like, Newt's Commander is only mentioned a few times offhand, and J.K. did write a Newt's Commander, a book about his travels and the animals that he encountered. And, she wrote the Fantastic yeah, Beasts and Where to Find yeah, the Book. It's an actual book you can buy. Um, it's very cool. But And so I, I always pictured Newt as someone who was, you know, always on his own, always traveling all over the world, and then he he kind of did his own thing, and that's how I feel like he was uh, established by J.K. in her novels uh, of Newt Scamander just being this journeyman, this voyager, um, obsessed with animals, protecting them and learning about them and spreading knowledge about them. And then in, in this trilogy so far, and it's going to be, I think, five films, it ultimately didn't really suit Newt Scamander. I think that if they approached this in the way that, you know, maybe a Marvel type situation of a Marvel universe where you have Newt Scamander. Imagine Newt Scamander movies where he's just, it's Newt Scamander on adventures, helping animals, rescuing animals. There could be like evil poachers and wizards who are trying to capture like some mythical beast that he has to save and rescue. Like, like that, the third one. Yeah, that could be the first movie of him rescuing this mythical beast that an evil wizard's trying to take control of. Also, all of his movies and exploits could be like their own thing, separate from Dumbledore, separate from Grindelwald. Um, and then you can have another franchise, another series of films, Dumbledore versus Grindelwald. It's on Grindelwald's rising, the battles, and the, the, the war that takes place. And then you could even have another series of horrors. And then you, that could lead into, you can have team-up movies like The Avengers where, you know, uh, Dumbledore needs Newt's help for something. So then imagine like people love the Fantastic Beast movies and then there's a Dumbledore movie and he's like, and then Newt Scamander shows up. I think people would have freaked out if they had already loved Newt Scamander and his movies and then he shows up in a Dumbledore movie for some kind of reason. Uh, I think that the, approaching the films that way would have been a lot stronger. I think audiences would have loved it. And also... Newt is a very charming, kind, funny, and warm soul, but he's put into these situations of action, of high stakes, of drama, um, war, war, and it doesn't really feel right for him. I, I agree, but obviously, you know, I think Warren Brothers and Studios can't help but salivate at the opportunity to, like, let's get Dumbledore let's get in, there. in there. Yeah. Let's get everybody. We'll have some auras, even though you're right. Newt's Commander would probably work best in a franchise of just Newt's Commander, Fantastic Beasts, Newt's Commander, Pet Detective. Like doing all <laughs> yeah, sorts it of could stuff. be a Pokemon-type movie. Yeah, it'd be yeah, really cool. Pokemon. And that's why I think the third one was the strongest so far, because they tied in a real reason for Newt to be 
in the plot and a real reason for for magical beasts to be in the plot. And you're talking about the chillin'. The chillin' yeah. in the third film where the chillin' is supposed to be the most pure creature on Earth and in the Wizarding World and will elect the leader for the Wizarding World going forward because well, the, of its pureness. Yeah, so the, the chillin' is a way that leaders used to be selected thousands of years ago by wizards because the chillin' can see inside a person's heart the goodness and true morality and so the chillin can point that out, and that entice that allows people to be like, I'm going to vote for this person to be our leader. Um, so that's what Grindelwald's plan is. It's actually a really good plan, Brad it's Grindelwald. Good plot. It's a great plot. He's trying to basically usurp the the union of the wizarding countries. Um, it's very reminiscent of Hitler's rise to power, although Hitler wasn't elected, but he kind of like publicly was elected universally by Germany and the the current. Um, chancellor, he stepped down and gave Hitler the job, basically. Yeah, and the plot of the third yeah. one is he. there's a birth of new chillins, and he steals one. He has his, his crew steal one with Credence, and then he kills it to see the future with its blood, and then he, re-animate, he reanimates the chillin from the dead and uses it as a fake living chillin to elect himself as chancellor at the end of the film. Obviously, we'll get into how that backfired on him. But still, the first one with the, the plot of the first Fantastic Beast movie, the the Beast, you know, it makes sense for the movie because Newt's goal in that film is he's bringing that rare... Uh, Articuno. Articuno. <laughs> or is it Zapdos? Cause Zapdos, he's, yeah, I like it, the, yeah. the Zapdos wizarding bird back to Arizona. That's like his goal. That's why he's in America. And obviously that's where Grindelwald is and where Credence is and the Obscurus. You could say that the Obscurus and Obscurial, in a sense, is a fantastic beast that he's trying to tame and trying to control and rescue in a way because that happens in the third act of the film when we find out that Credence is the Obscurial, the Obscurance. So those two movies, it makes sense, especially the third film with the fantastic beasts being essential to the plot or part of the plot. But the second one, the beast really have nothing to do with the plot but before we continue the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast where you get awesome perks like our podcast schedule personalized videos patreon shoutouts on the show weekly bonus episodes for all patrons plus godfather tier patrons they get their own custom episode that they get to pick and choose ten dollar and twenty five dollar tier patrons also have access to our discord which is awesome access because we we communicate on that daily we have watch parties we've done oscars watch party we're doing we did super bad watch party we play some games on there sometimes it's a lot of fun and we also recently launched our podcast or masterclass online course so for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all of the secrets behind the scenes of our show the link is podcast masterclass.teachable.com or just go to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. You can see all of our merch, custom movie posters, sources of content. Thanks so much for tuning in around the world. Now let's get back into the Fantastic Beasts trilogy. What were you about to say? You looked like you wanted to get something off your chest. <laughs> and I was going to add to that. It was fun seeing um, the Fantastic Beasts interacting with New York City. It's period piece. I love the setting. And it was fun seeing like this, the, the Niffler stealing all the jewels and stuff and like the bow truckle and like all sorts of these all these beasts like in central park it's fun you know it's the fish uh, um fish out of water type of story where yeah the bow trickle is yeah. not supposed to be in new york city it's <laughs> a classic not. fish out of water story <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun but also that being said it's not until the third film that we actually see newt in the wild interacting yeah. with the beast it's the opening of his story 
of his thread in the third film, and he's um, keeping an eye on the, on the chillin, the mother chillin, because he knows she's ready to give birth any day now. And he's in the wild. It seems to be like his natural habitat. And I love that scene. I thought it was a great opening for Newt. And one of the, the, I think the first um, few scenes of the of the third film were really strong. And it was it, when I saw that scene, I was like, it's a shame that we haven't seen Newt in the wild at all until the third film. Yeah, he's Newt Scamander. He's a fantastic beast expert. He's out in jungles, but he's in cities for 90% of the franchise of these movies because the war basically superseded the plots of these films, which again, we understand that Warren Brothers, and I'm sure JK wanted to infuse all of these great characters that we yeah. want to hear stories from. We want to know about the Dumbledore Grindelwald battle and the, the war that happened. It's kind of like DC doing the team up Right away. Yeah. But really, the, the fish out of water isn't the creatures in Manhattan. It's Newton cities, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. And I always felt that Newt, from the book and from what J.K. wrote about him briefly, he didn't seem like he was like a powerful wizard. Um, he just felt he seemed like he's a zoologist and he loves animals. Magizoologist. Magizoologist. Get and, it right. And so seeing him in, in the war... It, it never feels right for me seeing Newt like in the battles and obviously in the movies he's a, he's a, he seems as though he's a very powerful wizard who can hold his own in these situations. He's not like the best wizard clearly but he's up there but I never pictured him knowing about him going into the movie. I never pictured him as like a wizard who got into battles at all. You know what I mean? No, I agree but they did what they did. It's yeah. too late to turn back now. Like you said, it would have been sick if we had an Aura franchise, a Newt franchise, a Dumbledore franchise. Yeah. If they just started off with like a Dumbledore series of Jude Law because Jude Law is so yeah. great as Dumbledore and he's not in the first one. He comes into play in Crimes of Grindelwald and then he's all over the third film, The Secrets of Dumbledore. The third film's his movie. And I think Jude yeah. Law is the best part of the third movie because not only is he a terrific actor, he's, he's, a, he's an icon in cinema in America and England and all over the world. But he does such a great job as Dumbledore because he brings so much of Michael Gammon's uh, natural performances and mannerisms into his role and his performance of Dumbledore while also bringing something new to it. So I think that going forward with Jude Law and Grindelwald, they probably will become the main characters, maybe a little bit over Newt. But I think Newt still has to be the main leader of the franchise because it's called Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. But then... With with Jude Law and then obviously Johnny Depp as Grindelwald who lost the job after the second film and now it's Maz Mikkelsen who's Grindelwald, both very very capable actors and both did a great job with Grindelwald. I think going forward though with with Jude Law as Dumbledore is really the the secret sauce to this franchise going forward. Yeah, Jude really captured the essence of Dumbledore, his kindness, his humanity. Um, because at this point in his life, it's uh, it's several years, it's a couple of decades after the mistakes of his past. And so he's probably atoned for them. And now he has finally become um, the truest version of himself as a man. And he's accepted who he is and he understands that he has a troubled past. Whereas Dumbledore in the Harry Potter franchise, we that, that was definitely there. But he was busy dealing with Voldemort and trying to figure out what Voldemort was up to, trying to figure out how to stop Voldemort. Whereas when we meet Dumbledore in the first, in this, in the second Fantastic Beast films, I it's just he's so charming, he's so kind, an excellent teacher, clear sexy Dumbledore. Yeah, sexy Dumbledore. <laughs> so hot right now. He's got a great beard. Also, like I don't know what he's gonna do that's gonna make him age 
50 years in the next uh, five years, but something's going to happen. But I think that Jude Law captured Dumbledore's personality and his persona so well in this film. And I, I love seeing him on screen. In the third film, he has a lot of screen time as Dumby, and it's terrific. And, you know, Grindelwald, even though he really only shows up technically in the flesh at the end of the first film, he is Graves, played by Colin Farrell in the whole first film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about hiding Grindelwald in this character of Graves for that entire film because obviously Colin Farrell is an awesome actor, but then it's kind of, maybe it's kind of like a bait and switch where this Grindelwald was hiding inside this person the entire movie, which it might have been more interesting if Grindelwald was Grindelwald the whole time if you were going to have him in the, in the franchise to begin with. Yeah, I think that... <clears throat> Because they approached this franchise knowing they were going to – we're going to make like nine movies. I think the original announcement was six movies. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a mistake because you're slowly rolling things out, slowly you know, waiting to reveal the villain for an entire film. It was a great moment when – and it was surprising when, when Johnny Depp showed up at the end of the film. But when you saw him and his saw his amazing character look – the hair, the glass eye, the, 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 the he has these, it's like albino, his eyebrows yeah. are yeah. bleached, everything's like white. And then his, his voice and his characterization of Grindelwald, I was like, oh my God, where was this the whole movie? It would have been awesome. And I, I agree. I, I, and I love Colin Farrell. And he thought, I thought he was excellent in the movie. He did a great job because he played a guy who you, you thought he was, you know, a leader within, the wizarding world of America, but then he slowly reveals a more nefarious nature. And then when like he slaps Credence across the face, you're like, holy crap, who is this guy? And then it makes sense that he is Grindelwald, but I agree. I think that um, hiding him, it was pretty underwhelming upon repeat viewings of like, when you watch the movie again, you're like, man, I wish Johnny Depp as Grindelwald was here. Yeah, the immediate differences between this and the Harry Potter franchise are pretty obvious. I think obviously the first and foremost, we're not at Hogwarts. We get a glimpse of it in the second film. I don't. We don't even go to Hogwarts in the first film at all, right? Not in the first film. And then the second film, we're there very briefly when we go. The Ministry of Magic goes to talk to Dumbledore, and he's a great teacher and professor, which you'd expect. And then the third one, we spend quite a bit of time at Hogwarts. There's a bunch of great scenes, which we love. Yeah, and, we know, see the hall. We see the room of requirement. Yeah. So the lack of Hogwarts is a con, but you know they. I think they made up for it with going to a different country we're in america there's a different style of magic governance here different politics different they run i would have liked to see the american school though yeah it would have been that would have been yeah. really interesting they call them uh instead of muggles they're called no mages here they don't humans who don't have magic and i i would say though but the the another big difference that i notice all the time is the heavy dependence on visual effects and special effects mm -hmm. in the fantastic beast movie Obviously, we have these fantastic beasts that don't exist, so we have to rely on visual effects for that. There's still a lot versus there's a ton of practical filmmaking in the Harry Potter world, even in the Deathly Hollows movies and Half-Blood Prince. Obviously, the spells and everything are, are visual effects and CGI, but there's just, an, an, I think, an overabundance of CGI dependence in the Fantastic Beasts movies, which I, I understand they have to. I agree. I think one of the I do think one of the strengths of the, of the franchise is, um, lies in one of the characters of having Jacob Kowalski played by Dan Fogler who is just a scene stealer he's so funny and he's one of my favorite parts of the entire franchise now but I really love the idea of getting a muggle involved of getting just because we're muggles mm -hmm. um, unless well, I mean, unless you, you're yeah sure yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
so, so I think that I, I love the idea of, you know, there's a muggle. He, he's an important part of these events. And Jacob is a highlight of the films. He's very needed comic relief. He's a great breath of levity um, because these films can be quite dark and grim and kind of, you know, super serious. And so Dan Fogler really does an excellent job of entertaining the audience, making us relate to him. And I, I just really like the idea JK had of like, let me insert a muggle into these series into this series and I think fans would love it. And it really worked. His scenes really work. It makes sense because of what we know of Harry Potter with now there's because the third film it it, ha- it ends with the marriage of of Jacob and Queenie, which I think they alluded to was the first marriage or official marriage between a muggle yeah. and a wizard. Very sweet ending too. Yeah, it's very, very sweet. It's a great ending yeah. to the third film. But, you know, from Harry Potter, what we know, interbreeding and in, in marriage between muggles and wizards, is, it seems to be very common. And half the kids, it seems like, at, at Hogwarts. My mom um, is a witch. My dad's a, my, my dad's a muggle. <laughs> a bit of a shock when he found out. Exactly. So <laughs> it seems like half the kids have a muggle parent or muggles in their families. Yeah. And so and we really are only exposed to muggle parents and families in Harry Potter, usually with Hermione's parents. Like they're at Florence and Botts and like that's when Lucius Malfoy like berates uh, uh, Arthur. Arthur Weasley like fraternizing with, with muggles. muggles. And I thought your family could stoop no lower. <laughs> like stuff like that. That's really the only time we ever see it. But you you would think that muggles would have to do, be more important in a lot of lives and even storylines in the wizarding world and, and although, things that happen. Although we do know that the muggle prime minister is always um, is always taught about the wizarding world from the, the muggle – I mean from the wizarding prime minister – um, and then they wipe their memory after they're done being president, prime ministers. But that allows for the leadership to be aware of the existence of wizards for the off chance that something crazy like Voldemort uh, attacking the world happens. Yeah, in Sears Black. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about yeah. the movies, really, though, yeah. from what most people's perspective of the Harry Potter franchise. We only really ever see Hermione's parents involved mm-hmm. in the wizarding world, really, ever. I can't really think at the it's top not like of my they head. Have, they don't even have any lines. Though. There aren't really ever any other muggles really The going girl on. that Harry hits on um, in the train Oh, the station. train station. Yeah, but no, I mean. I know, I know. No, that's, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a muggle no, who no, actually no, talks to someone. I mean, the Dursleys are muggles. <laughs> I'm talking about muggles in the wizarding world interacting with wizards and knowing about it. This is like, it makes yeah. sense to have a muggle. And I think that's, you're right. That is one of the best parts of the entire franchise is Jacob Kowalski. So funny. Dan Fulger's hilarious. And also his relationship with uh, Queenie, who is uh, a wizard and the sister of Tina, Tina. Yeah. who is an Auror. Former Auror. Former Auror. Yeah. Uh, and by, by the time we meet her in Fantastic Beasts. And I th- I love Queenie. Her power, um, she's... Legiments. Nedulaments. She can... Nedulaments. Nedulaments. No, not le- not Nedulaments. Nedulaments. <laughs> Negligence. No. Legilaments. Legilaments. There you go. Like I said. <laughs> Legilaments. <laughs> so she can read. Uh, she can read people's minds, even if she doesn't want to. She's just like it's just like a, it's hard for her even to turn the switch off. I think that's a fascinating take on a character. And then Tina is a very strong character, uh, a former aura. We've always wanted to see like auras at play it, as like a job, not just because not because like because in the past we've just seen like aura the phoenix. They're not really auras. They're just good wizards who are trying to fight um, evil. And now we have, look, here's someone who is an aura for a profession. So cool. You know, we all know Harry. Um, when he grew up, he became an aura. Um, and so, I mean, that would be a sick mo- movie right there. I would mm-hmm. love to see that. So it's great to see the the American offices of the their ministry, um, how American 
wizards differ from European and British wizards in terms of, like you said, the slang in terms of calling them nomads. Um, I like how the American um, wizarding world, especially the areas of government, it's very much inspired by the Industrial Revolution in America. It has that factory um, work vibe. It has, like, the mechanics that you would think it harkens back to the industrial revolution of invention um you know the period of america that like america really was built when immigrants came in and they were working in factories machines were being created invented to create these huge huge amounts of speed of creation of all sorts of goods and products which it created an influx of wealth in america and so the american ministry it looks like it's definitely inspired by that um the factory type kind of work as you all know, there's no magical spell that will cure you of your bad eyesight. And we've been wearing Felix Gray's blue light cancellation glasses for about three weeks now. And the results are pretty surprising and real. Yeah, blue light affects us all in negative ways, especially if you're on a screen all day like we are. It always has affected my sleep. It always affects my eyes. My eyes have always been super dry. I've been using these glasses for three weeks now. I swear I am sleeping better and my eyes feel really healthy. And you can check out Felix Gray's entire line of glasses with our special link, felixgrayglasses.com slash Raiders. That's Felix, G-R-A-Y, glasses.com slash Raiders. And so Anthony and I, we got prescription glasses. You can also get them in non-prescription or just reading glasses. I also have amber lenses. It makes me look like Tony Stark. But they also cancel out even more blue light. Anthony has clear lenses, which cancel out plenty of blue light as well. So it doesn't matter if you need glasses or not. But if you're working on a computer all day, looking at screens all day, Felix Gray glasses will help you out. Felix Gray technology works 15 times better than their competitors at blocking blue light. Sleeping that long is something I haven't really been able to do regularly since I was a kid. Be sure to head on over to felixgrayglasses.com slash Raiders. Again, Felix Gray. G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash Raiders to get a pair for yourself today. And the American magical world is more demeaning of muggles and they have like a culture where you're not supposed to interact with muggles. You're mm -hmm. not supposed to date muggles, fraternize with muggles, marry muggles. It's it's not really it's something it's something that's frowned upon in the American wizarding commun community, whereas in the UK community, it's more of a equal balance of dignity in human life. But it's, although, in, do we know that about this era? In true, the, we don't in know that UK? yet. I'm not sure, but I think I, that maybe they're trying to showcase that for the entire be, world. Yeah, be, because since Queenie and Jacob is the first marriage between Muggles and wizards, I'm sure that in the UK and in Europe. The relationships between wizards and muggles is the same as in America at this time period. Yeah, we got to remember this is the early twenty, early twentieth century. What, what, what years the movie take place? Like 50s? the nineteen? No, it's like the nineteen teens. Really? The, it's not the fifties, bro. This <laughs> Elvis isn't around. It's, dude, it's the nineteen. <laughs> hold on, hold on. No, I gotta it's look like this the, up. It's like nineteen. Yeah, but then how old is Dumbledore? Dude, Dumbledore like is like two, almost two. It's like one hundred and eighty years old. Hold on, what time or period? Sixty years old. It's the nineteen teens or early twenties for sure. It's the 20, 1920s. No, it can't be the teens. 1926. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give it. I'll take that. Yeah, definitely okay, not the 1950s. Not the teens, though. I said 19 teens or 20s. That was the first thing I said. He said it's early definitely 20s the century. 19 teens. Nothing else other than the teens. I mean, you thought it was the 1950s for people at diners and, and <laughs> doo-wops. Like, <laughs> doing the twist. <laughs> Anyways. Alora. So, that, okay, I... 
So yeah, then that would make sense that Europe would probably have the same probably same policy. Yeah, because usually Western cultures have similar perspectives on culture. Mm-hmm. Usually, and there are carryover plots to this franchise. The most important one is probably, or the most important to the plot is probably Credence. Yeah, and his con and his character in terms of being a, an obscurus, an obscurial. This va- incredibly powerful wizarding being who, you know, an Obscurus is somebody who is created by somebody rejecting and suppressing their magical abilities. And over time, it creates this parasite known as an Obscurus, an Obscurial, which eventually kills the person and becomes its own parasitic uh, being and entity. And... It's what killed uh, Dumbledore's sister. sister. Yeah. yeah, and usually it kills wizards in their early or in childhood or teens because it's such a powerful entity and it just poisons them. I believe they say no wizard or witch over the age of like nine has as ever survived. Something obscurus. like that. Yeah. But Credence is so powerful, he survived it, and it's still living inside of them. And this is why Gellert Grindelwald is trying to find Credence and also then eventually in the second and third films recruit Credence into his side because he believes that the power inside Credence is so strong that it's the only thing that he can use to kill Dumbledore to end their blood pact. Yeah, so he's trying to harness the power of this thing that he doesn't know is destroying parts like entire blocks of New York City, but he knows it's out here somewhere. My only, The only question I had about the first film was like how Credence came into the attention of Grindelwald um, and how he knew that Credence would be the one who would be able to find the Obscurus. That's something that I was even watching on repeat viewings I'm kind of confused about. Yeah, I guess. But I do like in the first film the concept of humans in muggles Knowing that, like some people, like oh, magic is real out there. Witches yeah. are yeah, yeah. real. It's like Salem witch trials. Weird. Exactly. It's really interesting. And we have that woman. Um, who is it? Mary Lou. Which is that's the reason why Tina loses her aura stars because she she gets caught like stop stopping magic to stop yeah her. to stop yeah. Mary Lou from abu- from I think abusing Credence yeah, right him, yeah. in public. And so Mary Lou is like leading this almost like. Like suffragette, suffragette movement sort of feel in terms of like muggles are re- wizards are real. We have to stop wizards. These these people with wands and and it exists. And she's trying to shed light on the wizarding community with muggles. She's and like, actually right. And John Voight <laughs> is like in this movie for some reason. <laughs> He's like the father of a guy running for office. Like a, like, yeah, it's like John Voight's in a wizarding movie. Nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere, John Voight's in this. <laughs> It's but I like that concept and how there's like backlash, but it kind of just they move on from that in the second film. Yeah, and and Ezra Miller is a very good actor. He does a solid job as Credence uh, under a lot of controversy and, right now. Yeah, though. under a lot of controversy Man, right now. Like, there's so many crazy memes of like, it's like uh, it's a, it's like a meme of someone like looking of sweating. It's like Jordan Peele sweating that <laughs> meme, and it's like Jordan, when Ezra Miller sees you having fun at a karaoke bar <laughs> and you're just sweating. <laughs> so. It's it's pretty – Hollywood's been nuts the last month and a half, and yeah. hopefully we don't know what the situation is with Ezra Miller, if it's mental health and he needs to get help. And we don't know the, the extent of what happened, the situations. We just know he was arrested, got out on bail. I don't know. It seems like mental health problems because I read that during the production of um, 
the flash he was having panic attacks and like struggled with his confidence of being able to continuing on with the job yeah so i mean he's a young he's still a young guy to be put under the pressure of huge blockbusters two big franchises you know i'm sure it's a lot to take on um and so i it's well, no excuse yeah. for what he did. It's no excuse it, for like, like you know, for berating violent. People, yeah. No one could like violence. There's, there's and no threatening reason for people. Yeah, yeah. So. so it's it's a crazy situation. Yeah. And if you've seen the Fantastic Beast three movie, which if you haven't, I'm sure you have because we're spoiling. Yeah, it. we're spoiling. We already have spoiled so it. So you know the ending of Fantastic Beasts in the in the third film where the Obscurus inside of Credence is slowly poisoning him and he's dying soon and then the end of the film he eventually be, becomes reunited with his father Aberforth which is very sweet so we can assume that they're gonna X uh, there's no way Ezra Warner Brothers was like thank god that worked wow, out wow that's lucky wow they're uh, like we don't but we don't know any situations yeah. don't condone violence it's yeah. a tough subject we don't know any information really we don't know yeah. anything and there's something like the Dumbledore's man obscure eye in their family it's just like it's a curse it must be because there's just so much power in the blood that yeah. obviously there's going to be a spectrum of how it affects wizards I'm sure and what happened with Credence was he was swapped no so the story's crazy yeah. so this this ties into yeah. the second film the crimes of Grindelwald where we're introduced to leader Lestrange played by Zoe Kravitz who was a really interesting character I was disappointed that she died in this at the end of the movie and so the story of Credence is that yeah, it's 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 a baby swap. It's, <laughs> it's like a soap opera. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's it's kind of a stretch. Yeah, I get as I stretch my arms <laughs> as I say that. So when Lita Lestrange was a baby or, or a child, she's she, the worst sister of all time. She, <laughs> she I know, right? She's on a ship. They're heading to America, right? Yeah, and this is uh, after yep. crossing the Atlantic. The, yeah, and she's the stepsister of Yusuf, who he comes into play later. And uh, yeah. so, so she's with her sibling, a baby crying, who she can't stand, and she swaps the baby out with another baby, a quiet baby, which we find out come to, is Credence. A Cred yeah. Credence is the baby, so we can assume uh, Dumbledore was on the ship with, with Credence as a baby. And the ship sinks. The baby that was swapped for Credence dies with everyone else on the ship. And Lita survives with the new baby, Credence, and... Which is shocking. And so Credence, they think for a while, Grindelwald thinks for a while, everyone thinks, and Lita thinks that he's a Lestrange. He's in the Lestrange bloodline. And yeah, Lita, Lita even goes to the ministry to look for the files. Yeah, everyone's yeah. trying to find the birth certificate of Credence in this movie, in the second film. Even Tina and Newt are trying to find it. And they think that he might be a Lestrange, but they eventually find, or he eventually finds out from Grindelwald that he's the a end Palpatine. Of the film, <laughs> it's basically it's Ray and Skywalker that um, that Credence is actually a Dumbledore. He was born Aurelius Dumbledore, and he's the long lost brother that was disappeared, who they probably thought died in that shipwreck, but it survived and was actually alive. And we learned it was Aberforth's son is Credence, and so I guess Aberforth's wife, baby mama or wife, was, wife in the, was, was on, on the, the ship, ship, and she died in the ship. And with the uh, Lestrange baby, yes, exactly. And she and she's part of the Lestrange line because Yusuf's mother was taken from her by one of the 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 male Lestranges, and by like by magic, like can, like made her come. I think like a love potion or something like that, or or the um, uh, not the he bewitched her. He bewitched her yeah. to come. I can't remember. Yeah, and then um, it wasn't a potion; it was a spell. And so Yusuf pledged. An unbreakable vow to kill whoever that guy loved most, which he eventually finds out was Credence. Yeah. So it's complicated. 
it makes it works for the plot. It's still kind of a little far fetched. And it's like even after watching the movie twice, it's still like I'm. It's like a little confusing. It's still. like a triple switch. It's a lot to take in, and I'm like, it's, it's come on, it's a little too complicated. It's, it, it is a little much. And it felt like a, it's, it feels a little soap opery. Like who's the dad? Not them. They're the dad. And then who's? Is it an orphan? No, it's not an orphan. It's just like. A little, little too much, a little too complicated. Um, it does work though, when you think about the, the overall timeline of Aberforth in the Harry Potter franchise, where he is extremely bitter and angry, and now you can see, oh, the death of his son definitely added to that after already dealing with his, with his brother and the death of his sister. So you can see why Aberforth, as an old man, has become a recluse inside the bar. Just nobody really knows who he is, even though he's the the brother of the most famous wizard alive. Yeah, and in Credence, he has like three families growing up. You know, he's adopted by Mary Lou Barebone, the leader of that nomad anti-witchcraft group called the New Zealand Philanthropic Society. And then obviously because of suppressing his magic living in that environment under Mary Lou as as a mother figure, that's where he develops the dark parasitic force known as the Obscurus. And became the Obscurial. And then he works. He Then he's recruited by Grindelwald. And he Grindelwald becomes like a father figure to them to him. And Grindelwald tells him lies about the Dumbledores. And, and turns him against the Dumbledores by the third film. Then he has... He's using uh, Credence to, to kill Dumbledore in the third film. Because he, he can't fight him. Because he can't fight him. Because they, they would die from it. And so he, he had... He manipulates, and Grindelwald's a master manipulator. He manipulates Credence to go after Dumbledore in the third film, which is unsuccessful because Dumbledore has immense power that Credence has no real training, informal training. So he's just full of power, but doesn't know how to use it. He's never really been in a fight. And Dumb- also Dumbledore, he like throws them into like this other dimension. It's like the mirror dimension. Yeah, it's Dr. like the Strange. mirror dimension where they don't have any um, effect on the actual real world while they battle. True, but then Credence... He starts to question everything Grindelwald's been telling him about the Dumbledores because Dumbledore saves him and spares him and doesn't hurt him. He's just on the defensive the whole time and tries to tell him that everything Grindelwald has told him is a lie. And then he eventually is reunited with his father. You know, he's communicating with his father with on with the mirror, the mirror that comes into play, obviously, in Harry Potter. It's a different kind of mirror. It's one you can send messages to with, with fog and breath and, and, and writing messages. And Aberforth and Credence are communicating. I don't think they know exactly who each other are yet. I think, well, Aberforth knows he's probably Credence, but I don't think Credence even, he doesn't no. know who his father really yeah. is. But then they're reuni- reunited because Credence wants to finally come home you know he's dying he's sick of the lies he just wants to feel belong somewhere you know he doesn't want to be alone anymore yeah he wants acceptance and he wants connection and that's something he's never had and the the adults in his life have always used him um even even grindelwald mary lou used him yeah mary lou used him very much as well do you want to head on into our intermission let's head on into our intermission and begin with our movie quote competition i'll go first let's go I wish. I wish more than anything. But I can't imagine you with all your complexity, all your perfection, your imperfection. <laughs> You're just a shade. <laughs> um. Oh, my God. What is it? I just finished the quote, and I don't even know what. Inception. Yeah. Cobb. And I'll, I'll, I don't think that you're just a shade is the next part, but you're close enough. He says, like. You're just like a reflection or something. 
Anyways, someone double check that. I think I think it could be something like that. We'll see. <clears throat> Here's mine. This is the LAPD. We're the most hated cops in all the free world. My own mama's ashamed of me. She tells everybody I'm a drug dealer. <laughs> That's rush hour. Yep. <laughs> Good one. That's great. All right, guess this movie release year. Cry Baby. 19... Ninety-two. Ninety. Ah. Ninety. Damn. Good one. Guess this movie release here. The Medallion with Jack Chan. Oh, I know. <laughs> the, the masterpiece. Two thousand six. Three. Oh man, that early. That early. That early. All right, movie pop quiz time. I actually have two. Let's hear him. Eddie Redmayne has been nominated for two Oscars, winning one. What are the two films? What was he nominated for, and what did he win for? He he won for the Danish Girl, and he was nominated for. Wait 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 wait, yes, the Theory of Everything. So he no- won. Wait, so he was he was nominated for those two. Which did which he win? Did he win? <laughs> Shoot, I'm going. He won for a Theory of Everything. Correct though. Unless nice. Vikander won Danish Girl. Nice That's fix. what threw me off. Nice fix. All right, and also, what Harry Potter role did Eddie Edmain? Audition for. <clears throat> he auditioned for. First of all, it's Eddie Redmayne. I said Eddie Ed- Redmayne. <laughs> you just it's Eddie. You said Eddie Edmayne. No, I didn't. <laughs> There's no proof of that. <laughs> he auditioned for the role of Tom Riddle in Chamber of Secrets. Correct though. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. <gasps> Don't mess with my Harry Potter knowledge. <laughs> okay, here's my quiz question. What is Jackie Chan's most successful movie? Kung Fu Panda Three. One. Oh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Right track, though. Yeah, made uh, almost 700 mil. Thanks, man. Right on the right track. On the right track. You're doing wonderful. And our godfather shout out for today is our very good friend, Bianca Devlin. Thank you so much for becoming a godfather. Bianca, we made you an offer. You You became a godfather patron today. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best, Bianca. And she selected a great episode for her topic. Um, a great topic for her episode. It's Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy collaborations. Killy? Yeah, Killian. Killian. Killian Murphy collaborations. Um, they have been in a bunch of things, movies and obviously Peaky Blinders. And I think it's a great topic. We're excited to talk about it. Oh, what a great pick. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. Two of our favorite Brits, too. All right. What are we moving on to next? Who we got for haters? There's the hater on TikTok. Um, what was it? Yesterday. Oh, for Dune? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone came after Dune, and I was like, they weren't a hater, but they were like, because there was a, a a clip on how the they gray screens, gray yeah. screens and beige, beige screens instead of green screens and blue screens, and they were like, actually, they used the LED screens from the Mandalorian. I was like, that's false. They did not use the LED screens. It, from- it's amazing how people just make shit up. Literally, they think seriously, it's, true. it's not true at all. You, I literally, you made the clip showing footage of the, the great of the screens and there's no shot in the desert yeah. outside in the desert and this kid's like actually they did led screens from I, the mandalorian he probably thinks that because it's greg fraser who did that on the mandalorian when he was doing the mandalorian show but like denis denis villeneuve would never use led screens for a it, backdrop it's just amazing that like people they are they feel so strongly that they're right about something that they couldn't be more wrong about. Google's free ninety nine. Hey, we make mistakes too, but you know. But we have a ton of unsubscribes today. Who yet? Okay, <laughs> these are good ones. 
Geek and TX, Mike, he said, um, main character standing with their backs facing us broke my mind. Unsubscribe. <laughs> and then uh, Greg Greenlee, Scott Pilgrim did not play the guitar. He played bass. Unsubscribe. Yeah. Did you say guitar? I, think? I said guitar. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, D Watt song. Um, I posted a clip about how all the big studio movie posters look the same. And like they all do. And then D Watt song wrote, nope, they were all different. Unsubscribe. <laughs> And then uh, Biscardi Pictures, the best football story hasn't been made into a movie yet is that backup QB Nick Foles stepped up to beat Tom Brady oh, in the man. Super Bowl. Unsubscribed. Savage. Yeah, he, that, that, hurt, that hurt me. Alexander Rodriguez, The Fate of the Furious is the eighth installment. The fourth one released was released in 2009 and is titled, the Fast and the, titled Fast and Furious, while the first one is called The Fast and the Furious because we mixed them all up. He said, please don't ask me how I know, but I know. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jess Morales, Footloose is not a horror film. Unsubscribe. <laughs> I remember when I brought that up and you were like, what? dude, we're in the like... horror section. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite comment for the week is um, uh, I posted a clip about you were talking about um, Henry Cavill's chest hair. Oh, yeah. Um, but you, you said chest hair. <laughs> and then <laughs> Fat to Zeros wrote, normalize chest here. Let's go. <laughs> As opposed to chest there. <laughs> That's great. That one is that was uh, the best. We one. have a great five star review from Isaac Wall, Wicked Smart Film Bros. I think he wants me to do this in a Boston accent. Go for it. James and Anthony managed to craft an amazing film podcast that is both educational and fun to listen to. They're Wicked Smart Kid about film and behind the scenes and explain it in a way that makes sense to everyone. When you turn on their podcast, it doesn't feel like listening to a podcast. It's like sitting in the room and having a conversation with two buds. And all you can think is, did we just become best friends? Love you guys. Thanks for getting me through work. Appreciate you, Isaac. You are the best. Thanks, Love Isaac. It. Great, right. great uh, Boston accent. I like how you're you're you, you become a different person. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, the way your the, the way your mouth moves is different. Like you have like a kind of a side like uh, yeah. a method, bro. Yeah, full on. That's, that's Boston Gym coming yeah. out. <laughs> I keep him down, but like once it's like it's like Moon Knight. Uh-huh. I let it out once in a while. When I look in the mirror, I can talk to Boston Gym. Let's get us. <laughs> All right, uh, today is April 21st. On this day in film history, in 1928, The Passion of Joan of Arc was released in Denmark. In 1984, after 37 weeks of Michael Jackson's album Thriller being at the top album on the charts, it is knocked off by the soundtrack to Footloose. Full wow, circle. Wow. Weird. 1989, Pet Cemetery and Field of Dreams are released. In 1996, Basketball Diaries is released. 2006, Silent Hill is released. 2010, Shrek Forever is released. Forever then, After? For, forever? No, it's just Shrek Forever. Oh, I thought it was Forever After. Come on, man. I'm pretty sure it's just Shrek Forever. I mean, Olivia's like, oh Olivia. my god. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia's typing so hard in her keyboard Shrek right now. Forever. How oh, do they not know? Forever After. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, Olivia. <laughs> 2016, Keanu is released. And happy birthday to Claire Denis and James McAvoy. My streaming recommendation is Starred Up, which just got put on Peacock. It's an awesome uh, prison film with Jack O'Connell in an early role of his career that really just put him on the map. And then Ben Mendelsohn. He plays a a young prison inmate who gets transferred to an adult prison and runs into his father. Yeah. It's awesome. Like he actually like runs like right into him. (laughs) (laughs) Papa! (laughs) (laughs) My streaming recommendation is Hail Caesar. Um, on Netflix, uh, Coen Brothers, hilarious black comedy um, with uh, Josh Brolin in the lead. Excellent cast. Super fun. 
Now, if we were all wizards, we'd probably have a great spell to just, like, immediately groom ourselves. You Manscapus. Know? Manscapus. <laughs> Filiarpus Manscapus. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to instead go to manscaped.com to get the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer. And if you use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order today. Manscaped has also recently just launched their Ultra Premium Collection, which is the ultimate wet goods bundle featuring deodorant. Yes, actual armpit deodorant from Manscaped, and it smells amazing. Body wash, two-in-one shampoo conditioner. We all know dudes love two-in-one stuff. Hydrating body spray, and the package also comes with a free set of Manscaped lip balm. Manscaped is taking 2022 to the next level, and they're taking care of all of your grooming, showering, everything needs on a daily basis, guys. So definitely get onto their website, manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You get 20% off and free shipping your entire order today. If you love the Harry Potter world, you got to get yourself some Wizarding World posters. And the best place to do that, of course, is at movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Movieposters.com has all sorts of sizes, backlighting, framing, Whatever your poster needs are, they got you covered, as well as a selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their arsenal. Whatever you're a fan of, they got you covered. Now, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our very special promo code Raiders10. Again, that's Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, let's get back into <laughs> Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. How about you made a list of like your favorite Fantastic Beasts, right? Yeah, so why don't, I, you, why don't you go over them? I would love to. So I'm just I sit here and just listen. <laughs> <laughs> I made a list of my favorites that aren't. So these are beasts that aren't in the Harry Potter movies because we know those so well. But these and these are my top eight because there are a bunch of beasts, but these are my I think the best ones. So the Niffler has got to be the best. He's super funny, super cute. I love how he can just fit like an endless amount of jewelry and shiny things inside of his like little pouch. It's it's hilarious. Um, and he has a great. He's always got the funny slow motion scenes. Yeah. And there's a great one in in the third one where he's like jumping in slow motion, <laughs> and you think he's gonna save the little twig, pick it, pick it, but he's like goes for the jewels instead and lets <laughs> yeah. pick it fall. <laughs> I was I was dying. Yeah, that was really great. And then um the, the demi guys, which is that. That like monkey who look like, looks like he's like Father Time, and he beca- he can become invisible, and he can actually see the immediate future up to like a couple of minutes. And um, yeah, I think he's really cool, really cool design, and the power is awesome. Then we have the Occamancies, which are those serpent-like birds, which can change their size based upon their surroundings. So they can become tiny, like when he's in a little teapot. Or he can become gigantic when he's in like the Sear, the Sears warehouse, like that that like that gigantic serpent, huge snake bird. I love how they can change its shape. Then the bow truckle, which is the little tiny plant that we mentioned earlier, Picket is Newt's like right hand little dude. He's always in his pocket, like his best friend. Although Newt nearly like sells him like multiple times <laughs> and betrays him <laughs> several times. <laughs> then we have the Zuwu, which is like this gigantic lion type beast with this huge floral tail um it can teleport um just like um similar to um apparating uh for for wizards beautiful design very very cool looking creature then we have in the 
new film, The Chillin', which is the central um, catalyst for the film. And it is a small deer-like figure, um, has like gold light within it, within its belly. And the Chillin' can look into the, the soul of a, of a person and um, judge whether they have true goodness and morality within them. And the chillins were used um, in the ancient days of wizard of the wizarding communities to pick leaders for the communities based upon the chillin recognizing uh, goodness within the people. And so that is actually what Grindelwald tries to use to um, convince people to vote for him once he is allowed to be in the election. And then there's another creature that I loved in, in the third film that I don't know what the name of, but it's this creature that we encounter in Newt's opening that basically rescues him after the attack and it's like this puffer bird that turns into like a dragon and so what it does is it has a long tail that it wraps around snallygaster alligaster no snallygaster snallygaster thank you come on man (laughs) so the snallygaster wraps its tail around newt and the chillin and then he puffs his body up like a blowfish until he's like a blimp and he floats into the air and then he pulls out these giant dragon wings and flies them away and it was really like the music from James Newton Howard plus that moment, it was like very – it really felt wonderful and fantastical. It's one of my favorite moments of the third film and a really fascinating creature. So, I also liked uh, in the third one we have like those f- those crabs, the fire crabs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever those are called, I think they're, they're chisperfuls. Um, I don't think it's confirmed yet, but then we also have the manticore, which I believe is that giant like crab with that tries to scorpion kill the, crab. It's like a scorpion crab, but oh yeah, it's messed up. That sequence is super funny. It was the, great. the third one is very funny. Yeah. I think it's the funniest of the three, and it's the most entertaining for sure. There's Whimsical. a lot of great, a lot of great moments like that when they have to do the swivel dance to yeah. the crabs are mimicking them to let them get away. But that prison is wild. Like you're gonna yeah. die in that prison no matter. That was what. great. It was great like horror in there yeah. too. I, that was one of my favorite sequences of the entire franchise. It was a scary movie. There, yeah. were, there were moments that were scary. Yeah, they did a great job with that sequence. But those are, the, I think, the best creatures that we've seen in this franchise. And I still think the third has the best plot in general because we have the great element and theme of politics. It's very reminiscent of what you can probably assume was Germany at the time of the rise fascism. Of, of fascism yeah. and Hitler and the Nazi regime and, and the power that they began to wield and how they – kind of just took over the country and and psychologically took over the minds of the entire nation or the majority of the nation to gain power and then lead them in a new direction for the war of for the world really and it's shocking and you know we have that kind of element to this entire film where this is grindelwald's plan is to during this election use the chillin to show that he's the most pure of heart and that he should be the one to lead the wizarding world in the future by reanimating the chillin that he killed which is like a zombie zombie chillin yeah winning public opinion basically. is essentially what happened back then and so i think it was i thought it was a really great parallel to um, that entire thread. We have like political riots, political yeah. parties feuding with each other and, and all sorts of stuff. Although I, I feel like because the franchise moves so slowly, this should have been in the second movie, mm-hmm. this entire Grindelwald plan. Introduce Grindelwald, the first one, um, he tries to gain power politically in the second one. And then the third one could be a huge battle. Because the whole the whole plot of Grindelwald in the second one, he's really just chilling, slowly recruiting. He's getting ready for a party. He's like slowly yeah. recruiting people. He's trying to recruit Credence. He's recruiting Queenie because 
you know, Queenie sees with his supposedly progressive politics of wanting to control the entire world and muggles, it'll allow them a world where Queenie and Jacob can get married and be together. And, you know, Grindelwald is using the manipulation of love that Queenie has for Jacob to coerce her into joining his side because, you know, he's like, with with the future, like we can love who we want to love and stuff like yeah. that. But he's obviously taking advantage of her and she won't have she won't get what she wants in his regime. So he's basically recruiting everybody and then he finally has at the end of the film in the third act his big like public display and speech of rec- final recruitment and killing auras with that blue flame and stuff like that. So we finally get like the full force of Grindelwald at the end of that movie. I, I will just say it, it felt like an underwhelming climax. Like the climax of the movie is just his announcement. It felt small in scope. It should have been the, it should have been the, the end of the first act. Mm-hmm. That should have been the big event. Like Grindelwald announces what his plan is and then the movie can continue from there. Because then he's just like, he's like leaning against rooftops yeah. and, like, and like casually like, hey, I'm Grindelwald. It doesn't feel like there's like anything happening really not a threat it's like he's literally he's essentially planning a party (laughs) the entire movie (laughs) you know what i mean so if they stuck in if they put the entire political plot into the second movie i feel like it would have added a lot more high stakes and momentum and there's things about the second movie that i think were were strong and interesting that were kind of just pushed to the back burner specifically i think with nagini i think the the storyline with nagini and credence could have been more interesting if we learned more about nagini it's this really interesting character and she really i don't even think she has a line until she's, the she, end of yeah, the movie she the, has her yeah. final line and you know she's in the circus with credence credence is looking for his birth family Nagini's a character she's a wizard we find out nagini was a wizard who eventually who can turn into a snake yeah and then eventually is cursed with being the snake for for the, her entire life eventually but I would have loved to learn more about Nagini, her character, get some more dialogue because when Credence leaves her to go into and, and takes the uh, the side of Grindelwald, it's not really an emotional impact for us because we don't even know Nagini. Yeah. This is her first time she's opened her mouth in the movie. That's actually the weakness of – I think the weakness of the franchise is – the characters by the end of the third film, you're like, okay, I kind of know who these characters are. <laughs> so that that's a problem. I, I'm in the first two movies. You're like introduced to these people, and you barely get to know them that well. And there are multiple characters that are in all three movies, or in the in, or in at least two movies that are in a lot of scenes, and they don't even say anything. Like there's that there's that woman who's always with Grindelwald with the dark hair, and she's always in the movie, but she barely says anything at all in two movies. She has like two lines, and you're like, who is she? Like, what is? So there are a lot of characters that are just like there and they're occurring characters regularly, but you don't even know who they are, what their motivations are, anything about them. And so I think that the character development uh, of the films is not even close to the character development of the of the previous franchise. And I think that is ultimately could be. The, one of the biggest weaknesses of the franchise. Yeah, you can argue that we had books to read to get to understand. Yeah, we yeah. knew the characters yeah. before the movies were even made, but still the first film and the first two films, they do a great job of 
showing character yeah. and, and introducing us to yeah. everybody, even if you didn't read the books. Yeah. I'm sure there are people who've never read the Harry Potter books, but they're obsessed with the movies, you know, and they, they built strong characters. And even when we have a new character brought in, like whether, whether it's Gilderoy Lockhart in the second one or Lupin in the third film, in the movie, the versions, they still do a great job of characterization yeah. in just a, an opening scene of that character. Like Gilderoy Lockhart at Flourish and Blots, we know exactly what this guy's like within a minute of dialogue. Yeah, and there, I mean, obviously there are characters that we know so well you know jacob is an example but like tell me what that woman's name is uh i can't even think of who you're thinking of she's always she's like grindelwald's right hand always with him in the background i'm yeah i'm blanking she got uh, i'll put a photo up for people to see but she's <laughs> she's in like 20 scenes and i don't even know who who she is in the in what her name is or what she's even doing there her her the actor's name is poppy Oh, Rossier? Yeah. Got you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, what does she even say in any of the movies? I can't think of any dialogue. But that's, I think that would probably, one of the, the weaknesses of the franchise is they're not super memorable movies. I think the last one for me is like the one that's, I've been thinking about most since seeing it for the first time. But the other ones after I saw them, I'm like, yeah, it's a good movie. But like, I'm not thinking about it afterwards too much. You know, I'm not like, I'm not going to like put it on again. You know, Christmas exactly. Time. Like, I've yeah. never had the, the need or want to like uh, let's put on Fantastic Beasts I love that movie I've done that with Chamber of Secrets more times than I've seen Fantastic Beasts in the last five years you know what I mean yeah. so it's they're not movies I feel that they, they, they don't have the rewatchability they, yeah they're not rewatchable that they're not super memorable or I but I think they're doing better I think this third one is really a step in the right direction yeah but that's a great point like there I've seen all the Harry Potter movies many times each many times each and I will put them like if someone like around us wants to put on a Harry Potter movie, I'm like, let's go, let's go to Hogwarts. This is what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> That's my next three hours. Like, uh, no questions asked. Gotta cancel my plans. Zero hesitation. But like, I like had to like, we put on Fantastic Beasts to prepare for the episode, and I was like, uh, I, yeah, I'll watch it with you. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. I haven't seen it. I've only seen it twice. I mean, I'll see it again to get brush up on it. But then while watching it, I was like, uh, I really don't see myself. Like really wanted to watch this ever again. Yeah, but I, I, the characters, the third one, I think does the best job. We we have new characters that we learn more about. Yusuf, who's introduced in the second film, he has a huge role to play in the third film, played by William Natalie. And then we also have Lily Hicks. I mean, Lally Hicks, another great lead character, and she is working. She's part of the Auras. I mean, she, she's, she's a, a professor. professor at Hogwarts. Charms professor. Uh, Charms professor. That's right. Yeah. But her. Did you even watch the And movie? her defensive spells are really marvelous. Superb. Superb. Sorry. Not getting the lines right yet. I've only seen it once. <laughs> but so we get a great feel for these characters. You know, we have this like team to save the world. You know, it's it's Lally Hicks, it's Yusuf, it's Theseus. And then we have Newt. I like how Tina is kind of like not so much in this movie because we we forget that the Harry Potter movies characters come and go constantly. Main characters come and go. Like Sirius is here, but he's not in this movie, or he's just barely in this Arthur movie. And Arthur, Arthur. Yeah. But I think it's important to have characters coming in and out. Um, and I I think they're obviously gonna have Tina as a main character in the next film for sure, and have their romance. But again, because the problem with Tina and Newt was in Crimes of Grindelwald when there was the photo in the in the profit of his book signing for his book Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. There is a, a error in the in the in the text that said that he was engaged to Lita Lestrange when really it's his brother Theseus, and so that's why Tina and Newt never really 
pursued each other in the second film or, or like tried to find each other and try to rekindle what they had at the end of the first film uh, in that but that spark ignites again in the third film at the end which i really liked yeah but the problem with the second film is that they get together pretty quickly and newt doesn't tell her it's kind of odd it's like they have several scenes together and it's like he never gets the chance to tell her that the it was a misprint and it was like if he had said it the first time he met her in the second film like it wouldn't have been an it, yeah, it's just like things like the- I like Newt. I like his yeah. awkwardness and sometimes his inability to communicate and social socially interact with humans, which is obviously part of his character. Why he gets yeah. along with creatures so well and animals. I get that it's an awesome trait, but he can't. He couldn't have been like, yeah, I'm not. It's my brother. Yeah, She's gonna I'm, be my sister. The first thing he should have said is like, I'm not engaged to her. I'm not. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was, a, it was wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but the plot of the third one overall is the best because we actually have the reason why the beasts are have to do with anything. They're part yeah. of the plot, and also the plot to stop Grindelwald is great. We have this team; they're trying it's tied to, together. They're tied yeah. together with the chillin because he saw the future with the chillin. They're trying to create different diversions and plots of of what their action actions and motives are going to be. We have the six or seven briefcases. Each character is involved with the climax and the plot. And overall, it's a very solid movie. And, you know, we find out in the third act ends where um, the real chillin' is brought, the living chillin' because there were two, is brought to the top of the they vote of the mountain. They were twins. Gives the real vote that, that the woman who was up for election, she becomes the new head of the Wizarding World, the, the Chancellor or whatever it's called. And Grindelwald loses the election but gets away. And the blood pact is destroyed between Dumbledore and Grindelwald because they have a little tease battle. They have a little battle in that, like, mirror dimension, which was really cool to see. And I think, obviously, by the end of the fifth film, we'll have the final battle. But I'm sure they'll have— The famous battle that that everyone talks about for decades. Because, yeah, it's going to happen, but it probably won't happen in the fourth one. I'm sure the stakes will be rising and the war will be getting more intense, just like— uh, Half Blood Prince. It will probably feel more like that, but then the fifth film will be the big battle, big yeah. war. And I do like because I mean, obviously, we weren't happy with Johnny Depp getting fired. He actually did one day of filming on this, and then he got fired. And so Mads Mikkelsen stepped in without any prep. Uh, but I do think it was smart by the filmmakers to be like, let's not address the appearance change. They, they don't address it at all. Just the eye. All yeah. the, the same eye, that's it. Yeah, so otherwise, it's like, it's not like he, we explain, like, why does he look different? It's like, it's like the character, it's like as though he's always looked this way. So I thought it was a smart way to um, deal with that issue. Yeah, and Maz is awesome. You know, to step into a role of this magnitude in this huge of a franchise, this importance of a role, like, with no prep at all, probably learning lines right on his way to set, you know, mm-hmm. on the plane or something like that. Really impressive stuff. He's a really talented actor. I liked his interpretation of Grindelwald. It's different than Johnny's. It, I'm, I can understand if people think it's better. It's a different interpretation, so it's up for it's up in the air which which you prefer. But I think he's very effective and solid. Is, is Grindelwald quite effective? Quite effective. <laughs> but I, after the third one, I I'm looking forward to the fourth film. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, they cook up for this for the series. Uh, after the second film, I was like, ah. yeah. But now I think they really turned things around. They're doing a much better job, and it was the strongest film of the franchise. So um, when when the third when the fourth one comes out, I'll be there. Yeah, I was very excited for the third one because it was gonna the title, "The Secrets of Dumbledore." I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a Dumbledore centric film. It's gonna show us the past or glimpses of the past 
of Dumbledore and Grindelwald, their love confirmation, the the unbreakable, the, the spell that they have, the blood pact where they can't duel each other, and addressing their love in their relationship, I thought it was the best part of the movie, Dumbledore and Grindelwald and their past. Great point. And the memories, yeah. it opens up with him going, Dumbledore looking at his memory with Grindelwald when their their final time having tea together. When there was seemed, time. Like, it seemed like Dumbledore's trying to, for one last chance, stop Grindelwald from carrying out his plans. And Grindelwald's like, this is what you wanted to do years ago. And he's then Dumbledore's like, yeah, but it's because I was in love with you. And I was, I was blinded by that too. But it's great. It's emotional. This film, the third film is full of love, which is very much a theme in the Harry Potter franchise as well. Yeah, it had a great ending. I think it had a really great ending. It was, it was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Very sweet. Um, you got anything else to add? I think that was a quick rundown of the franchise. Yeah. I think we did a pretty no, good job. I think I'm, I'm solid. Yeah, solid. solid. All right. In Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, Johnny Depp actually filmed one scene before he was fired. However, according to his contract, he had a pay or play contract, so he still received his full $16 million salary for just one day of work. During the events of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Tom Riddle, a.k.a. Lord Voldemort, is estimated to be less than one year old while this movie takes place. Steve Cloves, the original screenwriter and adapter of all the Harry Potter movies, except for The Order of the Phoenix in 2007, made his return to the writer's seat after 10 years with Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. He was brought on to help J.K. Rowling write the script. To prepare for his role as Dumbledore, J.K. Rowling gave Jude Law extremely secret details about his character, during a two-and-a-half-hour meeting between the pair of them, during which he was allowed to ask as many questions about Dumbledore as possible. Jude Law also watched Michael Gammon's performance in the previous four films to help establish the character and performance. In the Fantastic Beasts franchise, Eddie Redmayne and Calum Turner play brothers. Ironically, they actually grew up only 100 meters from each other in the same neighborhood. Their childhood homes were less than a three-minute walk away from each other. They also both experienced many milestones in the same places, such as both learning to win, as such as both learning to swim in the same pool. And that wraps our episode on the Fantastic Beast trilogy. Can't wait for the fourth one, which hopefully comes out, I guess, in 2024. The screenplay has not started being written yet, supposedly as of February, but I'm sure they'll get to work on it very soon. And it looks like Jude Law is growing that beard out extra long for oh, that yeah. role. And thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Wingardium Leviosa! <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.